0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com.
1: Yes, happy Mother's Day. Thomas and Tom here with our love fern. Uh, We're really excited to be opening up God's Word and continuing the series, Redeeming the Disruption. So if you have your Bibles, grab them and open up to Philippians chapter 2.
0: And as you're turning there, I I just want to reinforce, uh, we're envisioning you, whether you're in your living room, on your couch, at the table, on your phone, television, iPad, that you have your Bible open. The Bible is the best guide for us to understand what God wants for us as we live through these days. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12.
1: Therefore, my beloved... so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me.
0: This passage begins with a familiar word to us. It's the word, therefore, in verse 12, and whenever that's there... We have to look up and see what it follows, because the implications of verses 12 through 18 are grounded in the verses that just preceded. So if you weren't with us last week, it would serve you to go back and listen to the message from last week, but essentially it's pointing to the life and sacrifice of Jesus, the example he laid out where he laid down his life and um, left the glory of heaven, came all the way to descend to earth to the cross, to burial, and then to resurrection. And since he did that for us, here's a little word about how we should live today. So
1: in the work of Christ that we saw last week, in his humility, death on a cross, he brings those who would believe in Jesus Christ into salvation. In, in a profession of belief, that we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're repenting of our sins, asking him to save us, he brings us positionally, From a kingdom of darkness, it says, into the kingdom of his beloved son. That we are positionally changed from death to life. We are saved. We have been saved. And then here Paul says, okay, in light of the work of Christ having been saved, you're going to be called now to work out this salvation. This working, though, is not working to obtain salvation. That salvation has already obtained you through the work of Christ, so to speak. You have been saved. But now we're called to work out that salvation. Now that might sound a bit mysterious to you. It does to me, I guess. But there's kind of a series in which we are fully saved and then called to work this out into maturity, grow into the salvation that we've been saved. Uh, One of the passages I think of about this singular event and then how we continue to live this out is actually from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Here the author of Hebrews just simply says, for by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected, for all time, those who are being sanctified. This word sanctification is the idea of being more uh, saved in the sense of not positionally with Christ, but we are increasing in our salvation, becoming like Christ. That our flesh and the things that we're putting to death are becoming less true of us, and we're growing and maturing into our salvation. That's what's called sanctification. So, in a single event, we have been purified, been saved. That's the positional truth. We've been justified. We've been brought right before God. But it's also true that those who have been saved are being saved, and we look forward to a day in which we will be fully saved in Christ. So this is probably simultaneously true of you. those who believe in Christ, you've been saved. Being saved, you're working out that salvation. Looking forward to the day in which you'll be fully saved or be fully true of you in Jesus Christ. Though no analogy is perfect, probably one of my favorite analogies is to think about marriage. That you live your life as a single man or a single woman, and then in a moment you stand before your bride or your groom and a pastor, an ordained minister who has the legal right before God and probably the, the state you're being married in to pronounce you husband and wife. And so based on your vows that you exchange in one singular moment, you change complete identities from being single to being married, and you're being married fully. There's no sense that you continue in your singleness. Your whole identity has actually changed in one single moment. Now, for those who have stood before a pastor and have become married, uh, they're probably not perfect at marriage
0: at that moment, though they are fully married. Fully married, but not fully uh, capable of fulfilling everything that marriage requires. And that's a great illustration because although the legal description is married, learning what it is to be married is something you have to work out, you know, for all years. I've been married for almost uh, 39 years this summer, and uh, yeah, we worked something out this week together, and uh, that's what it takes, But and, and to have to work something out because it's difficult in marriage doesn't mean I'm any less married, or it doesn't threaten my marriage. And in the same way, I think the comment that you work out your salvation is um, the ongoing growth and expression of what you already fully possess in Christ, but it's coming to maturity. So when God saved us, he saved us in order that we would conform to the image of his son, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and that is the progressive move of our life. Um, So we keep that in our mind. Um, It's not that we have to work for our salvation, and in a sense, not even work at it, because we already have it in Christ, but we work it out. The best way I can think of it is a a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, some of you know. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one would ever boast that I was saved by my works, But the very next verse is sort of the purpose of salvation. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would do. There's something that the therefore of being in Christ means that we grow. Now, there's a key word in this section, um, and it's the word obey. Paul says... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your salvation. And um, I love the picture because it's Paul in Rome in prison, the Philippians over in Macedonia. He used to be with them, and when he was with them, they would live out their Christian experience. Now separated, he's just saying, keep on being obedient. And I think that's the cue of what it means to work out your salvation. It means to live a life of obedience, really. Yeah, and, and this
1: call of being obedient in his absence kind of has some familiarity with our, with our circumstances today. That there's perhaps a, a weekly check-in, you might call it as a, as a we gather on the weekend services. And perhaps you check in with your life group during the midweeks. Um, and some of those have been suspended to where it feels as though we are a bit more absent. And as Paul calls the church in Philippi to continue in obedience, even in Paul's absence when no one's watching, or at least Paul's not watching. Uh, I want to say to to Calvary, uh, even though we're not gathering and it does feel a bit of our absence, we want to call us to what God has called us to first and foremost, to continue in obedience, even in our absence, when no one seems to be watching, that we continue to strive after these things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, you remember when Jesus said, go make disciples, which we are because we love Jesus. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the next phrase is really another way of saying this, um, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Disciples know what Jesus said, and they, they do it. Uh, Jesus said, um, you... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll follow in obedience. So it's interesting that Paul begins this new section saying to the Philippian church, therefore, because of what Jesus did, you should work out your salvation. You should work at it, work it out, let it be seen by a life of obedience. And to do so, he uses this phrase with fear and trembling, as if this is a serious, sober-minded thing. Um, because the last phrase actually says, we're doing some, our part is to work it out by obedience, and God has a part. It says, for it is God who is at work in you uh, to will and to do his good pleasure. G- God's working in us through all of this, isn't
1: he? Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that, because it's a great confidence for me to know that my salvation To get salvation doesn't depend on my obedience, but on my confession and profession of Jesus Christ. It was on his obedience that my salvation was purchased. It's also encouraging to know that the working out of my salvation doesn't ultimately depend on my perfect obedience again, but that I have this assurance and confidence that it's God who's working in me, as you said right here in Philippians, both to will and to work. And so it is my participation, but it's God's energy. That it's God's ability to work in me. He who began a good work in you, as, as Paul started the book of Philippians, will be faithful to complete this work. He is the one that is working. Paul writes several letters. And so let's jump out of Philippians just real quick. Turn one page over to another letter he wrote to a church in Colossae. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, that speaks also of this mystery of Paul's working and God's working simultaneously. Chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says this, For this I toil. So so Paul is toiling. Paul is working. Paul is striving. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so there is this divine partnership that we are called to obedience. We're called to follow. We're called to struggle. But the assurance is not only on our own strength. We don't have... our own strength to obtain salvation, nor do we have our own strength to really work this out. And so the great confidence is that God himself is the one struggling with us, both to will and to work. So the will is, is our affections and our desires. This is kind of the fulfillment of Ezekiel. So There's coming a day when God will put a new heart in you and this heart will actually want to obey, will want to follow, will want to desire the things of God. And so God is changing both my heart, my desires, and then also enabling me to effectually accomplish the salvation that he has purchased for me.
0: Yeah, so good. So our obedience is actually for his pleasure, and to that point when it's, when our hearts want what God wants, um, and we are obedient because of, um, it's our pleasure to please him, it's a really, we grow quickly. I I think when our hearts want what God wants for us, we know it's his desire, his pleasure, that we would grow spiritually. And um, sometimes our hearts are a little more reluctant to get there and, and want to grow. And sometimes it's these very difficult experiences that we go through that put us in the place that, working out or working through our sanctification is a really challenging thing. And I would say our present circumstances right now have some of those challenges. Um, if, if we've mined what we can mine out of verses 12 and 13, uh, what, what does he do next to take us to the, the next section of maybe how you work that out? He, he talks about your attitude.
1: And these words that he uses about attitude are actually reflections back of our Exodus series. In the book of Exodus, speaking about the people of Israel in their journey from wandering to worshiping, as they changed from being wanderers to worshipers, as some have said. It's this shift in attitude. So Paul clearly says here that because you know that it pleases God and your desire is to please him, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so it's our attitude that actually desires to please Him in the way that we live, as really uh, displayed in front of others who don't love Him in this generation that is characterized here as being crooked and twisted.
0: So don't miss the connection of verse 14 to 13. It's God who's at work. To will and to do is good pleasure, so don't grumble. To grumble, um, this is a good Mother's Day verse, actually, for every household. Do everything without grumbling. Not for you, moms, uh, but for every kiddo in the room. Uh, m- moms are saying amen here. But in this context, God's at work. And, w- and We've said several times, we think God's at work in the disruption. So be careful that you do everything in COVID season without Grumbling or complaining. That's a huge call, but I think that's Paul's way of saying God's in charge. He he's working in this. So don't don't do that and then do become blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted world. The generation that we live in, the world in which we live in, is described by Paul as being broken or crooked. That word in Greek is the word we get in English, scoliosis. And it means to have a crooked part. It's not straight. And um, so there's something disformed by it in in the world, not as God intended. And we live in the midst of that, having been redeemed by Jesus. And we're not to complain or grumble, but to live as a, a really bright light in the midst of that kind of a world, which isn't always easy, but there's an effect when we live this way that we shine as lights. Yeah, and that link of
1: growing as children and shining as lights is right around here into verse 16, our holding fast to the word of life. So here Paul said, okay, I'm calling you to obedience, I'm calling you to working out your salvation, and I'm calling you to hold fast to something. Hold fast to the word of life, God's word. Now this word these, this word holding fast is used in a couple other places to help us understand a little bit about what Paul is calling us to do. If you remember, we've been studying the book of Acts prior to jumping into Philippians. And in Acts, the same word for holding fast that we see translated here is used in Acts chapter 3 and also in Acts chapter 19. And understanding how it's used there helps us understand a little bit more about what it means to hold fast to the words of life. In Acts chapter 3, it's, it's spoken about the lame man, who was looking at Peter and John, and his attention held fast with Peter and with John. And so it's his attention that is holding fast. In chapter 19 of Acts, this holding fast is spoken of Paul in his geographical location, standing fast, holding fast geographically to the, to the area of Asia and not moving on there. And so I think what, what we can understand in verse 16 is that our holding fast is both of our attention We're fixed on the words of God. The word of God has our attention more than anything else. And then also, it's where we stand. It's where we stand strong. It's where we are unmovable is on the word of God. And so we're we're holding fast in our attention and in our standing strong on God's word. And it's here's what I would say. Whatever holds your attention today holds your future tomorrow. Whatever holds and and captivates your attention that you're living into today holds and really shapes your tomorrow. Whatever you're beholding today is what you're becoming, really, tomorrow.
0: Yeah. So, holding fast to the word of life, which is probably a reference generally to the gospel. uh, It's easy to be restated in many other ways in the New Testament um, to cling to the Word of God, pay close attention, study to show yourself approved, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly, focus on that as the fundamental grounding of how I live in this day, growing in my salvation. So um, during the season, we're going to make a little call to everybody at Calvary Bible Church, starting today and over the next three weeks, mention it on Thursday night in the weekly update, but we're going to challenge all of ourselves to hold fast to the Word of God by memorizing Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, which begins, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. There's three more verses we won't do here, but we want you to get started on that as a way of applying hold fast to the Word of life. And then I envision on our first gathering meeting back in church together. That's what we'll recite together uh, as one of the things we've done to hold fast to the Word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice.
1: It's a high call of obedience and working out and holding fast. It's really impossible to continue to progress in your salvation without holding fast to God's Word. And so, Holding fast not only is part of our sanctification, but it's also part of our witness, our shining as lights. And so as we are changed and conformed in the likeness of Christ, it says we become like these lights in a dark world so that those around us can observe the life transformation that God is doing in us. And then also we shine amongst the Christian community as examples to follow. Here, Paul obviously uses Jesus as, the prime example to follow. He also includes himself as one who is being poured out as a sacrifice on their faith. He then goes on to share two more great examples of those who have been saved and being transformed into this likeness of Christ. One is Timothy and another is Epaphroditus. Here in verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for i have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests not those of jesus christ but but timothy is a proven servant and i love how timothy truly is an embodiment of everything that paul's been calling the, the church at Philippi to be, is concerned with others' interests as Jesus humbled himself and, and put our interests even above his own. Here, Timothy is a great example of someone who is genuinely concerned, genuinely concerned, not of his own interests, but of theirs. And so Paul says, I can't wait to send him to you. He's one of these shining examples, shining lights to yeah. look to.
0: Yeah. I was thinking of all the children in our congregation whose name is Timothy and you know we might search out this paragraph uh, basically from 19 down to 24 and see what does it say about Timothy it's a beautiful picture of a shining example and the second one we don't have as many Epaphrodites in, in our church but Epaphroditus was uh, another friend to Paul and we, under, we understand again how many great relationships Paul had Loving relationships were so important to him. But Epaphroditus is described beginning at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. That's the way Paul thought of him. And he's your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow on sorrow. If anything ever happened to Epaphroditus, it would have been horrible. But I am all the more eager to send him therefore to you, that you may rejoice in seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. I like that Paul actually says, I'll be less anxious about the Philippians if I know Epaphroditus gets to the Philippians. And then this key verse. Um, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. That's Paul saying, the spiritual leaders in your congregation should be honored because leading a fellowship is hard work. And Paul just says, when Epaphroditus gets there, honor him. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So you think of Epaphroditus, how is he this shining example of everything chapter 2 says? Um, think more of the interests of others. That's exactly what Epaphroditus was doing, thinking of the interests of others. He risked his own life. I found a very interesting story about um, Epaphroditus. Uh, William Barclay in his, uh, in his commentary on Philippians writes that shortly after New Testament times, uh, a group of Christian brothers banded together and called themselves the Parabolani Brotherhood, which means, uh, from Epaphroditus' name in this section, the gamblers. And it's taken from Epaphroditus risked his own life on behalf of others. So they took Epaphroditus as their model, and they went and they visited prisoners, and they ministered to the sick, especially those who had dangerous communicable diseases whom no one else could help, boldly proclaiming the gospel as they served. And then this same group, in 252 AD, in the city of Carthage, on the Mediterranean coast of North Africa, the city suffered a severe plague, and the residents were so afraid of the disease that they refused to touch Dead bodies, or even bury them. So, Cyprian, bishop of the church, led the Christians, thousands of Christians, into the dangerous task, the risky task of ministering to the sick and dying and burying their corpses. And the service had such a powerful witness to unbelieving neighbors, many of whom had lost their family members because of the plague and totally lost their old community, joined the new community of Christians the loving community of brothers who had been willing to risk their lives just like Epaphroditus did. I think that's a beautiful picture of how this whole chapter ties together. Let this mind be in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up all of heaven, came down, risked everything, suffered the loss of everything, and bought our redemption and now calls us to live in this kind of way.
1: I about you. I need examples to follow. Yeah, I, I need mentors in my life. Uh, I need people like Epaphroditus. And sometimes their shining example seems so far beyond me, I think. How, how is it possible that I could become like Epaphroditus and have that same attitude? Um, but, but here Paul is laying that out for the whole church. It's this call to obedience in the midst of absence. Is this call to working out what Christ has purchased for us. Is this call to holding fast to God's word that we would shine bright in a world that needs to know the gospel, even at a consequence to our own life. So maybe just for you today, just maybe you start thinking about this. What areas in your life right now are not in accordance with obedience, with the salvation that Jesus Christ has brought you to? We know as pastors and, and looking at trends in the U.S., that things like pornography are on the rise, substance abuse is on the rise. We see anxieties on the rise. We see suicides on the rise. May that never be so in the church. And we know that we are human and we wrestle with these things. And so how, how are you doing and how are, are you addressing some of these things? In what ways do you need to make some modifications this week that maybe reach out to someone, contact them, let them know what's going on because of your high upward call in Jesus Christ? How will we live as the church, obediently working out, holding fast, shining bright in the world
0: that we live in? Well, let's pray to that effect. Pray that God will help us live out the therefore. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the example of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus that brings us into life with God and then guides us through every experience of our life. Please lead us deeper and deeper in our journey with Christ that we work out our possessed salvation so that we would shine as lights in the world. our neighborhoods in this time for such a time as this let us be the church without spot or wrinkle blameless in the world really a shining example as we've seen this morning we pray this that your pleasure will be found and that the world would know who you are this is what we pray for in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Savior